0: Well God bless you, It was a 30 second hello, you can grab your seats now, awesome, hey well we are very very privileged this morning to have some great guests with us and uh, we're very very blessed this morning to have Grant Bailden from World Vision, the CEO of World Vision New Zealand with us uh, this morning in the service, he's going to share with us a little bit later, it's great to have you here Grant, thanks for coming and I won't out you about how long you lasted last night in the square, I'll let you do that if you want to do that. And uh, we've got Philip Sapsford as well from World Vision. And Philip, you are the church relations manager for the South Island. So it's great to have them. And can we welcome them this morning? Great to have them in our service. We're also very blessed to have the great friends of ours, David and Liz McGregor, with us. David and Liz are the senior pastors of Grace Vineyard here in our city. Who knows, great church, and uh, we're so blessed to have them. And and David's said yes to coming and sharing the word this morning, and David is one of our external advisors who we really, really value his input into our church, and we're really blessed to get him away from his place to come to our place this morning. So really, as he comes to share the word, I really want us to put our hands together and really give him encouragement as he comes. Thanks.
1: Well, good morning, Life Church. So good to see you here today and thank you for your warm welcome. You know, I always feel a very warm welcome when I come here because there is a relationship that goes back a long, long way. Uh, I was a youth pastor at Opawa Methodist Church, and I had uh, a great admiration for Paul and Jill Bennett, and I bumped into him once, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I've met Paul Bennett, so I felt so amazing, and um, because he has always had this amazing reputation in the city, and one day I mustered up the courage, and I said, Paul, would you mentor me? And I was expecting him to say no. Here I am a little humble youth pastor somewhere. And he said, of course I will. And uh, he faithfully has mentored me all these years, from the time I was a youth pastor all the way through planting a church, and I got myself into some real binds. And there were a lot of times I'd sort of ring up and say, Paul, I'm in trouble. And he said, what again? And uh, <laughs> so said, come, come and tell me everything. And I'd bring along my box of tissues and... Um, Paul and Jill have been amazing mentors to us, and there's been this great love between our churches uh, over the years. And uh, I've learned so much, we have learned so much from your wonderful church. You know, Paul has never had it in his heart to be a competitor in the city. He's always been a father, and fathers always reproduce. And uh, Paul and Jill have blessed into so many different churches, including ours. And uh, one of the uh, people that he has reproduced, or the couples that he's reproduced, is Carl and Ange. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we sit together and have lunch quite often, and uh, I feel in a way, I think Carl said this once, we're both sons of Paul and Jill. You know, we're in different places, but there's, there's, their hearts are coming through into us. And so now I meet with Carl and Ange, and, um, you know, that relationship continues, as we help and support and encourage one another. Isn't that the way the church is supposed to be? Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, we're not competing churches on different sides. We are sister churches that help one another. And so often, you know, over the years, we've, we've coordinated things and we've, we've uh, used each other's resources. And we want to continue to that uh, way into the future. But I'm so excited how you guys are doing. You know, people look at your church and they see this amazing transition that's happened. And they say, well, how have you done it so well? Not only has the place not slumped, you are growing further and you've got all these amazing new initiatives. It is so exciting to come into this church and see new, fresh, vibrant plans. And I picked up one of these as I came in, Multiply. Now, immediately you see the word multiply, you know you've stepped into the kingdom of God. Because multiplication is what the kingdom is all about. If you know Jesus, if you know God the Father, you know God never is into shrinking things. We're part of an advancing kingdom. And I want to take a moment just to remind us of what the kingdom is all about. I want to remind you about what God's heart is about, like why we're gathering here today. Why when we got saved, did Jesus not just zap us into heaven straight away? Because there's a mission to be done There's work to be done even here in Christchurch. I'm gonna start by telling you a a story that's very personal to my own heart. Some of you may know my second son, Ben. Has anybody heard of Ben? Some of you know Ben. His face is gonna come up on the screen. He's known for giving out lollies. There he is about the age of three. He goes out on the streets and evangelizes, and he hands out lollies. He's always given away lollies. Well, one day when he was about three years old, roughly that age, We took he and his two brothers to the mall. His older brother, Simon, and his younger brother, Josh, was a little baby. We were shopping for a while, and I had Simon in my hand, and Liz had the baby, and and Ben was sort of running around. And at one point, Liz yelled out to me, Honey, have you got Ben? And I said, No, honey, you've got Ben. You know that thing, parents? The blame thing. And I said, Honey, I remember he was with you last. No, he ran on towards you. Well, I haven't got him. I've got Simon. Well, I've got Josh. Okay. Well, we've got a problem. And suddenly, every kidnap movie that I've ever seen came large into my mind. You know, um, you know the the Liam Neeson. I have skills that could make your job very difficult. You know, I had all that stuff coming into my mind, and I had visions of my little blonde three-year-old being shuffled out of uh, the palms and taken away. And I started looking, and Liz started looking, and you sort of think, well, they can't have gone too far, but kids just, they're like the flash, aren't they? They just go. And we looked around, and the more we looked, panic started rising in my heart. And uh, Liz took both boys, and I was running around and looking and thinking, well, how far could a three-year-old have gone? And we were retracing our steps, And after a while, just out of sheer panic, I started behaving like a madman. You know, here we are, it was probably about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning in the palms, I'm yelling out his name. And I'm starting to run, doing things, you know, normally I'm not an idiot in a mall when I go there, but I was behaving like an idiot. I remember going to the door of Just Jeans and just yelling out, "Ban!" like this. And then saying, Has anybody seen my son Ben? He's about this tall, he's got blonde hair. And people sort of looking up from the racks as if, Who is that idiot, you know? And after a while, a security man came up and I said, I've lost my son, he's Ben. He's, he's that, uh, that height, he's got blonde hair, he's three years old. And I tried to describe it and I realized I was sounding like a lunatic. And I said, Please, can you help me? And he was annoyingly relaxed. He said, well, I'm sure he can't have gone too far. And I said, well, let me be the judge of that. I've been looking for him for 10 minutes and I cannot find him anywhere. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I just think he'll probably just turn up. I said, look, I'm not interested in him just turning up. I said, you're the security guard. You need to find him. Like, can you put an announcement? He said, oh, we don't do announcements. (coughs) I said, well, what are you gonna do to find him? He said, well, let me have a think and I may make some calls. I said, I don't want you to make calls I was ready to hit the sky. You know, I need, some, I need some help. And I was trying to talk to various people and say, would you come and help me? And no one would help me find Ben. It was like they were disinterested. You know, at that moment, I didn't care about anything else in the world. All I cared about was my lost son. If my biggest son, Simon, had said, well, Dad, why don't we just go and eat some lunch while we wait? You know, I probably would have, you know, non-smacking law or not, I probably, prob- you know, I you know, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have gone down well. Imagine if the security guard had said to me, Well, you've got two other boys, you know, why don't you just focus on them? You know, some people can't have any children, you know, just be be thankful with the two you've got. That would not have gone down down well either, because Ben. Our son is precious to us. And friends, from one end of the Bible to the other, it is a story about a dad who's lost his kids. It is a story about a father that is reaching out to lost people. Jesus talks about the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go in search of the one. It's ridiculous. He's got 99 sheep. And he goes searching for one lost lamb. What a silly thing. But that one is precious. People often say to me as we're building the church, they say, but it's not about numbers, is it? And I say, it is all about numbers. It is all about numbers because numbers represent people. They represent human beings who are precious to Jesus. Don't do this, oh, it's not just about numbers. Is it? it is all about numbers. If that number is your child that doesn't know Jesus, if it's your husband or your wife, if it's your grandparent or your father or your mother, it does matter. Numbers do matter because they matter to God. Jesus came down on a mission and he said that in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. He said, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his mission statement. He came to seek and save lost people. The word seek means to go out looking for. It's to search. And the word save is another word for rescue. Jesus was on a search and rescue mission. And i tell you something. He actually said to his disciples, I want you to come on the search and rescue mission with me. You remember he found the disciples by the boat? They were going about their business catching fish. Jesus came up to them and he said, guys, leave the boats, come and follow me and I will make you into something. I will make you fishers of men. In other words, leave what you're doing, leave your priorities, leave all the goals that you've got where you're building your own kingdom and just building things for yourself on this earth. I wanna draw your attention to lost people. Come and seek and save lost people. And friends, that is the same call that he gives to you and me today. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. He doesn't call you away from your job, but he calls you away from the priorities of the world. And he says, come with me and I will make you a fisher of people. Come and seek and save the lost. Friends, we live in a city with nearly 400,000 people in it. And statistics would tell us that about 14% of them are active Christians. That's about 56,000 people, 56,000 Christians in New Zealand. That means 344,000 people in Christchurch are lost. Now, that may not mean terribly much to you or me, but it means an enormous amount to Jesus. It means an enormous amount to Jesus. Recently, I saw a satellite photo of Korea, And they showed this photo at night, and they showed China all lit up, and South Korea all lit up, but North Korea completely in the dark. And they said, this nation is so poor, they can't afford to put the lights on. And I looked at it, it's the most repressive regime towards Christianity, and I thought spiritually you're like that as well. Completely in the dark. But what would God say about Christchurch? 344,000 people don't know Jesus. I think he would look at it as being a dark city, a spiritually dark city. We don't look at it that way. We come into a great church like this. We have wonderful worship. We have the preaching of the word. We've got our our wonderful fellowship that we have here with this church and between churches. But God looks at those who aren't here. He looks at the lost. Over the last few years, we've been seeing horrible scenes from the Mediterranean refugees who are desperately trying to cross from the Middle East over to Europe. And we see these pictures of uh, boats and one will come up on the screen and thousands of people often dropped into the water and boats that go out and rescue all these people. This church is a big boat. It's a big rescue boat. But the question is, what do you do when the boat gets full? When you take the rescue boat out and you fill it up full of people and you guys are pretty full, what do you do next? You say, well, we've done our bit. We've done our bit for the city. We've got a 1,000 people here. We've we've done it. We'll sit back and relax. I praise God you don't have leadership like that. You have leadership that look at the people that are left over in the sea and they say, you know what? We've got a big boat, but we need some more boats. There's a whole bunch of people out in Selwyn that, that don't know about Jesus the fastest growing area of town and there aren't many churches out there. So we can't just leave them there. We can't just do what we're doing here and just forget about those people. So your team have said, you know what? Let's not be content with staying where we are. Let's multiply. God has blessed us as a church. He's given us a wonderful building. We've been set up so well by generations past. Let's not just rest on our laurels. Let's look at what we can do in this generation and the generations to come. And so your leadership team has had this vision of saying, let's not stop. Let's keep going. You know, healthy things grow, they reproduce. Healthy things do not stop where they are. That's what's happened with the Bennets. The Bennets came along and they have reproduced themselves, not just into leaders in the city, but the leaders all overseas and left this wonderful heritage. And it's up to the leaders of this generation to grab the baton and not just do exactly what was done before, but say, well, how do we reproduce? And what's the legacy that's going to be left behind? And so I notice in your booklet that you're reaching out to the South Sudan and Ethiopia and Thailand and the Filipino community, and you've got a La Vida uh, Trust and 24-7 Youth and community ministries that are just rapidly expanding because you're saying we cannot sit in this city and let it just go to hell. You know, I want to congratulate you as a church because it takes a lot of courage to multiply. Most churches do not grow because it is too painful to grow. Growth always equals pain. Growth means change, and none of us like change. We actually, inside, our default mechanism is to come into church and look around and know everybody. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there'll be a lot of people that always sit in their same seat, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you come along and there's a whole bunch of new people, a whole new family, there will be something inside that says, what are you doing in my seat? (laughs) We've always sat there. We've sat there for 30 years. You know, my, My grandparents before us sat in that seat. That is our family seat. It may not be written on the on the chairs, but it may as well be. You know it takes courage to be able to change. And a healthy church is constantly growing and constantly changing. If you come to a church year after year and it's always the same people and it never changes, friends, you're in a dying church. You're in a dying church. Because health is growth, and growth means new people come in. You know, when we started our church, we had this vision that we wanted to reach the whole city, and we were so excited about reaching the whole city, and we had a little team of us that started, and some of our friends came along, and it was great. But then as soon as new people started coming in, our team got really annoyed. They said, they're changing our culture. They're not like us, and we got that new person in the worship team, and she likes different songs to us. She's dressing differently. And there are street people coming along as well, and they don't smell like us. Different. And there's people from other cultures as well. I mean, it's just, you know, don't they realize this is sort of like our church? And they started getting annoyed. I'm not joking, our team was annoyed. And our system started getting overwhelmed. And one of my leaders came to me at one point and he was very angry. He headed up a big area. He came to me and said, just how big are we going to let this thing grow? (laughs) And without thinking, I said to him, well, at what point do we close the door and tell everyone else to go to hell? And I went away and I spoke to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, what's going on? He said, you remember when you got on your knees and you prayed for lost people, you prayed to reach the city, this is it. It's messy, and it's unfamiliar, and at a certain point, God started getting us to plant churches and start new services, and people said, but I like being in the service that I'm at, because I know all the people there, and some of my friends are going to go out to that campus, and more friends are going to go out to that campus, and it's painful, when we had multiple services, people would come along and sometimes they'd swap over to the other service and they'd say, oh, do you still come to this church? I thought you'd backslidden. But they were just going to another service somewhere else. And it takes adjustment for us when there's change. But your leaders have said, we're prepared for the pain. We're prepared for the challenge because we want to see our church grow. We want to be able to see Christ Church one. And it takes sacrifice because as people go and plant churches and uh, Julia McCarthy and her team are going to go out to Life Church Selwyn. Isn't that so exciting? Isn't that awesome? And you're going to see some of your team go and it's going to be sad. You think, oh my goodness, that Julia, she's so awesome, she won't be speaking here quite as much. And maybe some other members of the church will go and it will be sad. But it's only sad for you. Isn't it going to be awesome for the people who are going to come to know Jesus in Selwyn? and out southwest Christchurch. There will be people that will come to know Jesus that would have never known him otherwise. You know, I was thinking this morning, we could have kept our church small. We could have just kept a little thing, and I would have missed out on two beautiful daughters-in-law who have come along because we chose to expand. And we've got another person that's coming uh, into our lives that could possibly become a spouse at some stage, and I thought, you know what? I could be jumping the gun a little here. We'll just edit that bit out. Nobody will ever hear that. But I was thinking this morning, you know what? If our church had not been allowed to grow, this never would have happened. And so we get these roundabout blessings that we never would have thought of before. My wife's cross with me now, I can tell. I'm gonna be in trouble. The first person out of the church at the end of the service is gonna be me. You know, so I'm gonna say now, bow your heads, and I'm go whew, straight out there. So I avoid my wife. And friends, the last thing is, the last thing to sacrifice is that it costs money when we expand the kingdom. Now, this is where you tighten your seatbelts, okay? And you think, oh my goodness. Or you escape the church just before I start into this, but you know, you get out fast. Because you know, there's something within us that doesn't like giving money. And there's this stereotype about churches, oh, churches always ask for money. I want to tell you something. When a church is is expanding, we're not just asking for money, we're asking for time and talent and help and everything. That's what it takes to be able to advance the kingdom. And friends, if you're a person that doesn't like giving finances and time and talents and that sort of thing, you're in the wrong place because the church is a place that is advancing and reaching lost people. If you care about the people that are lost at sea and you want to send out boats to rescue them, the boats cost money. And the life jackets cost money. And it takes people to be able to uh, volunteer to go out and rescue those people. And so you can sit back and say, well, I'm not into this and that's fine. But it's up to those who do have a mission's heart to say, you know what? Those people out at sea, whatever it costs and whatever it takes, we're gonna go and we're gonna rescue those people. And I don't mind dipping into my pocket to be able to make that thing happen. Young man came up to me when we were talking about raising money for our building. And he said to me, you know, I don't like these talks, he said. He said, because, you know, I don't mind us asking God for money, but just don't ask us for the money, okay? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, why don't you just ask God to just, to just bring it? And I said, well, how? And he said, I don't know, he's God. I mean, just bring it somehow. But he said, just don't ask us. He said, it really bugs me when you ask us for money. And I said, don't you realize that the only way God advances his kingdom is through his followers? It's the only way he does it. Just think about it. Every church that's ever been built, every mission that's ever been done, it always comes through believers. So it either succeeds through the believers or it fails through the believers. And you know what? God has purposely given money to all believers So that there is provision and there is some left over for the kingdom. God just does it that way. He puts money into our lives and then he looks and sees what are they going to do with it. Will it all go to them or will some of it go into the kingdom? I want to just quickly tell you how Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, did evangelism. What he did was... He would plant a church, he would stay there for a while, and then he would say to the people in the church, you know what, I want you to help me to plant another church, can you give me some money to do it? What I want you to do is make a pledge, and in a year's time I'm going to come and I'm going to get the money, and I'm going to take it to be able to plant a church. So he would take that money, he'd go to the next church, he'd plant it, and he would say, you know what I want you to do? In a year's time I want you to make a pledge, I want you to make a pledge for a year's time, and I, I want to come and get that money so I can, we can go off and plant another church. And so on and so on. Paul was just going from place to place, from church to church, getting money and starting another mission, and getting money and starting another mission. That is the way church planting works. You may say, well, I don't have much. I think all of us don't have much. But it comes down to priorities and You know, I believe that there are four things that God gives us money for. One is the tithe, and the tithe is the money that we put into our local church to keep it functioning. Because you give all your money away overseas and your home church would collapse. The second thing is seeding money, for seeding, not just for churches, but into other things in the community as well. The next thing is saving. It's a biblical principle to save. And the fourth thing is spending. God gives us money for our own provision, You know, in our own lives, and for my wife and I, we tithe 10% of our gross income and some more into our local church because we so believe in the mission of the church. And then we have money that we seed, So we give to missions, we give to our building fund, we give to to ministries as well. They're the two priorities in our life. Then there's money we set aside to save, and then there's money to spend. And you know, we're not rich people but we find there's always enough to be able to provide for things. We do have to do without some things. You know, I'd love to get a bigger TV or a larger whatever or stick on another bathroom, and sometimes those things have to wait because the priority is, let's see what God will do with the kingdom with our money. Tim Keller says the standard for giving is not 10%, it's the cross. I love that. So we don't just look at percentages and think, well, I've got to give that. The standard isn't a percentage. The standard is the cross. Jesus gave everything. So God looks at our hearts and he says, of everything I give you, what what can you give back into my kingdom? We raised some money uh, for our building once and there was a young couple that gave this massive amount of money. I begged begged them not to give it because I felt it was too much. They actually sold their house and pretty much gave everything into our building fund. $240,000 and I said please don't do it please don't do it and the guy said to me I've been thinking about this he said even if one person gets saved it's worth that money but he said how much is the cost of a soul how much is the cost of a soul I said well if you change your mind come back and we'll give it back to you but I still think it doesn't feel right but I, I was haunted by his words how much is the cost of a soul Next week, you've got your Thanksgiving faith offering where you commit to amount that you give over the year. And the Apostle Paul, when he was going into the churches and inviting them to give, talked about seeds. I used to cringe when people talked about giving in seeds, but you know what? Jesus and Paul did it all the time. You know, one of the first things I ever planted when I was a kid was corn. Anyone ever planted corn? I got a few little seeds and I put them in the ground and I came back after a couple of hours and nothing had happened. It's incredible. (laughs) Kept coming out every few hours and nothing had happened. It took a wee while for something to come up. but Here's a bag full of corn kernels. It's actually popping corn, but if you plant these, I'm sure that something will come up. It's incredible, this thing, because when you plant one of these, it has the potential to come up as a stalk of corn and on that stalk, there are usually two ears of corn. I've got one here. Very hard to find at this time of the year. Here's a corn cob. Oh, it smells nice. <laughs> Do you know what? That one seed can come up with two of those. Isn't that incredible? And I research, thanks to Google, on the average corn cob, there are 800 more kernels that come on the cob. Isn't that incredible? So if you got two of those, that's sixteen hundred. Come from that one tiny seed, isn't that phenomenal? And so what happens is, I worked it out because I'm not very good at maths. I've got a calculator there. If you took, if you got eight hundred of those from two cobs and you planted them all back, and every single one came up, you could get back two and a half million kernels. Isn't that incredible? And Paul talks about this in Scripture. He talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. And he says this incredible thing. When you plant corn or when you plant some sort of seed, you've got two choices. You can either eat it or you can plant it. And he talks about the fact that God wants us to do both. He says to us, you know, when you get the seed, you can have some of it for your own provision. You can have some of it to eat, But some of it, if you're wise, you should dry it out and you should plant it so that next time you have got a harvest. And he talks about this in direct relation to planting churches and planting new works. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. That's one of our fears, isn't it? That whatever we give, we will have that much less. But I wanna tell you something. This is the thing that God promises. When we give into the kingdom, the mathematics all changes around. Something different happens and God has this promise You will be provided for. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You know, what happens was, I brought this little pot plant here. Think about this as the kingdom. And you think to yourself, you know, I've got this to eat. Do I have it now or do I put some in there? Everything you eat is gone. Everything you consume has gone forever. But whatever you take off and put into the kingdom, it multiplies. It multiplies. And the lovely thing is God doesn't say, I want you to put all of it in. He doesn't say every seed you've got, just put the whole jolly lot in, because that would be stupid. You wouldn't have anything to eat. God's generous. Even with tithing, he says you can keep the other 90% he just says, take some of it and put it back in. Because whatever you put in is going to be the thing that multiplies. None of this will ever multiply. The other thing is, none of this will ever have eternal consequences. Only putting into this, into the kingdom, will have eternal consequences. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Oh, first of all, Uh, no, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. For God is the one who provides the seeds for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Now, I wanna tell you where the uh, prosperity people go wrong. They say, hey, put as much of this in as you can and then you'll get so much that you'll come back and you'll be rich. And that is not Biblical. What the Bible actually says is the more you put in, the more you'll get back to be generous with. See, the point is never us becoming rich. God's never saying, I want you to become rich. God is wanting to provide for our needs generously, but he's always wanting opportunities for us to learn to be able to become more generous. So he says, sure, when I give you some, as you learn to be more generous with the bits that you put into the kingdom, you'll have more, not so that you become a multimillionaire, but so that you will learn to become more generous. And that's the point. God is wanting to teach all of us to be able to become more generous. So friends, you have money to eat and you have money to plant. What will you do next week? You're going to have the opportunity to take this little envelope. And you're going to have to think to yourself, well... How much am I going to keep to eat? Because you've got to keep some to eat. You've, you've got to pay the bills and you've got to have a mortgage. You've got to have a life. And God wants you to have a life. He wants you to have life in all its fullness. But the challenge comes, what can I give that will stretch me? What can I give that would be generous so that more people would come to know Jesus? So that we can rescue more of the people from the sea. So that we could create more and bigger boats that can be a rescue ship for the future. And remember, whatever you put in to the kingdom will multiply, not for you, although God will always provide for you, it will multiply for the kingdom. Remember, whatever you keep will die, whatever you plant will multiply. And this is God's heart for us, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, in this particular case, will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of the kingdom. Friends, do you know why God chooses to pour his finances through our life because He wants to grow big hearts. He wants to grow big hearts. A number of years ago, we were trying to raise money just for our kitchen, uh, our church kitchen, and the money was very slow coming in. And I said, oh Lord, please bypass the people and just give us the money. And God said to me, you've, you've completely lost the point. He said, the whole thing I'm interested in is people's hearts. He said, I could snap my fingers and it would all be there. But He said, I want them to have kingdom hearts. So he said the hold-up is not with the finance. The hold-up is with people's hearts. They don't understand the mission that they're on. So I need to wait until people's hearts are in the right place. And friends, it may be for many of us that God's wanting to enlarge our hearts, first of all, to understand the mission. There's faith in there as well. Can we trust God to provide for us? And one last thing I wanna say, which is really important. Bible says very clearly that God, only wants us to give with joy. If you can't give with joy, don't give it all. If you can't give joyfully, I said when we are raising money for our buildings, I said, guys, you know what? If you can't give joyfully to our building, please do not give, because we don't want to have one brick of our building built without joy. We don't want any of it to be built by grumps. You know? We just want people who are joyful about the kingdom and joyful about the mission and excited about God's, what God's wanting to do. And friends, I know that you're people like this. I stand in this building enviously, I must say, and I think of the sacrifice that has happened to bring you here. And I know that many of you have sacrificed an enormous amount for the generation that's here today. And at the time, you may have gone without holidays, you may have gone out, you may have delayed building projects. I know some of you individually who have made huge sacrifices for this building. But I dare say none of you would want that money back when you see what God has been able to do. There has been blessing that has come into your lives. And I'm excited for this generation here today and the generation to come of what you're gonna be able to do that the next generation is gonna look back on and say, oh my goodness, Those people really sacrificed. You know, this is a secret thing that I'm thinking in my heart. I shouldn't say it out loud, and I haven't haven't asked permission from from Carl to say this, but I reckon you're not going to stop at one campus, to be honest. I just get feeling there's going to be a lot of campuses. I I think this is just the beginning, because once you see this thing take off and God do great things, I don't think anything's going to stop you guys. The other thing is, and I could get into real trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyway. (laughs) I see that your giving amount is 320,000. I reckon you're gonna give more than that. I just sense, I won't give the figure that I sense, but I sense that that there is generosity in this room because you have such a heart for lost people. I sense it's gonna be more than that. But I wanna pray for you because I'm so excited that you have the courage as a church to say, we will not stay the way we are, but we will move forward because we passionately care about lost people let's stand together my wife's reminded me that I didn't say that we found our son being in the end just as well i brought my wife along today yeah we did we didn't we didn't go on with just two children we did actually find our son, he was actually in Kmart eating lollies, funnily enough. He was sitting on the counter and they were feeding him, feeding him lollies. So he was fine. So thank you. I've got a habit of doing that. I tell part of a story and I leave everyone in a cliffhanger and then I go away and they say, you didn't tell the end of that story. We didn't listen to anything else you said because we were, we were waiting to see what happened to Ben. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this inspirational church. Thank you, Lord, that this church has never been afraid of doing large things for the kingdom. Lord, as we stand in the largest church auditorium in the city, we think of the sacrifice of all those people, the hundreds of people who have gone before and the amazing leadership of Paul and Jill that had the vision, even when they were a small church, that one day this church would be here to be a bright shining light. Father, I thank you for Carl and Ange and the wider leadership team not wanting just to sit in comfort, but looking at the vision of lost people in the city and overseas as well, especially in Asia, and saying, we cannot just rest on our laurels. We can't just stay where we're at. But we need to expand even more. Lord Jesus, I pray that every member of this church would capture that heart, of seeking and saving lost people. And even though there is pain in the journey sometimes, that everyone here would say, yes and amen. We want to be a missional church. We want to use our time, talents, finances, resources so that other people would be able to be saved. May you bless every person. And I pray, Lord, for abundance next week. I pray that as people give with great generosity, that the city will be surprised at the miracle that you do thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be over all who are here today. All the people that call this place home, and we look forward to the harvest in coming years of the things that are birthed in this next week, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.